Well, how's everyone doing this morning? Good, good to hear. Great. Well, this week what I have been given the task of doing is doing a lead-in to what Pastor John is going to be talking about over the next four Sundays. Uh, I think his title is going to be The Big D. Uh, What does the Bible have to say about divorce and remarriage? And and I I just got to give him kudos right off the the bat for, for dealing with such a controversial and such a tough and touchy subject Uh, And it's one of the things that, as I've listened online, as I've checked out the podcast of C4 in my preparation for coming here, is that this is a church that is not afraid to deal with stuff that we need to deal with and that we need to talk about. I I know that so many of us are touched by this subject, whether it's absolutely directly, maybe we've experienced divorce and remarriage ourselves, or it's touched us in our family. And so it's something that, in a crowd like this, I would say at least more than half of the people here are touched by this. So it's something that we have to talk about. It's something that we can't just shy away from. We can't be fearful about it, but we have to actually touch it. We're going through it in our family right now. Uh, My brother, my young brother next to me, him and his wife have just gone through a really messy, very difficult split up, and it's heading for permanence. And so this is something that has touched us in a very real and very significant way, and you know the pain, and you know the misunderstandings, and you know the the dividing lines and the lines that are drawn in the sand when this kind of stuff happens. But yet our God, the one who came up with the idea of marriage, the God that we serve and that we know, and the God who loves us has so much to say about this. And so we want to address that over the next four or five weeks. And this morning, what I've done is I've entitled my message this morning, Irreconcilable Differences. I remember there was a movie years ago, it seems, by that title, and I think that's why it kind of stuck in my head. And really, it's irre- irreconcilable differences with a, an enormous question mark after it, because I really, I wonder if there are differences that are so great that they're actually irreconcilable. And I want to talk about some of the differences that maybe you and I have experienced in our marriage and in our dating relationships, if you're not married yet and you're just dating, Um, I want to talk about some of these differences. I want to help us identify some of the differences because I think if we better understand the differences, then I think we'll be better equipped to deal with those differences. And maybe not all the differences that you and I will experience are actually irreconcilable differences. And so this morning I want to offer you hope that if you're in the midst of a difficult situation, if you're in some really tough circumstances right now, as I talk this morning Maybe you are at the point of thinking, you know, these differences are irreconcilable. I, I, need, I need to get out of this situation. I want to offer you some hope this morning to think about those differences. And a little bit later on, in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about some of the, the steps, some of the principles that are outlined, I believe, in Scripture that would help us to begin to understand our differences a little bit better, but then some things to actually do about these differences and how we can actually address the differences that you and I experience. Seven years of part-time seminary, and what I'm going to say to you now is completely profound. Men and women are different. Have you noticed that at all? Yes, yeah, seven years of seminary and a lot of dollars, and uh, that's what they taught me, that men and women are different we, we have all kinds of differences. And the differences, um, yeah, sometimes they're what drive us crazy. Sometimes they're the things that irritate us the most. But aren't the differences the things that really bring spice to a relationship? To our dating relationship? To our marriage relationship? 
Um, I'm really new here. I'm the new guy, and, and Jen's even newer than that. And as, as you get to know us and as we get to know you, you'll see that we're completely different. We're very different in a lot of different ways. But it's those differences that we celebrate in our marriage. It's those differences that actually bring that spark to the marriage. And, and we shouldn't marvel at that too much because this is God's design right from the start. Way back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, and in ver- or, yeah, back in, in Genesis chapter 1, we find out that, that God has made man and woman different. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. In Matthew chapter 19, which is the passage I think that Pastor John will be anchoring this whole discussion in, Jesus is asked about divorce specifically and about remarriage. And I love what Jesus says a little bit later on in that passage. He says, with God, all things are possible. And so if you're here this morning and you're experiencing some difficulties, some differences in your dating relationship or in your marriage relationship that you might think are irreconcilable, I want you to be filled with some hope this morning because Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. So are our differences irreconcilable? Can we overcome these differences? I want to look at three steps this morning in how you and I could handle our differences. The first one is very simply this. I think what we need to do, first of all, is we need to acknowledge that there are differences. We need to acknowledge the differences that we have. G.K. Chesterton once said, if people can be divorced for incompatibility, then I cannot conceive why all of us are not divorced. I don't think there's any perfectly compatible couple out there. There are differences, though. There are just differences that we have that uh, we experience. And acknowledging our differences and understanding those differences is one of the important first steps in making any relationship work, particularly a marriage. I came from a family background where we didn't talk about stuff. Where there were differences, where there were misunderstandings, perhaps where there were arguments and heated words. What my family background taught me to do was just to bury them, just to ignore them, just to pretend that they never happened. You might be lucky enough to get a gift, which was the closest you would ever get to someone acknowledging that maybe they'd said or done something that was wrong. And yet, that is just simply burying our heads in the sand. If we don't acknowledge our difficulties and our differences, if we just simply hope that they'll go away somehow magically, is really not to be mature as adults at all. I love what one woman said who had been married for 40 years. She said, we've loved each other deeply and disliked each other immensely. I think that's true. And I think the reason we laugh is because those of us who are married, we, we know that that's true. So, so let's just acknowledge that we have some differences. But some of our differences are really big. Some of our differences are really great and profound. Someone has said that marriage is like getting a box with all these parts in it and just one or two instructions. And, and what your job is over your married life is to, is to take all of the parts and to try and begin to assemble them, knowing that it takes a, a complete lifetime to assemble all of, the bo- all of the parts that are in the boxes. It takes a really long time. In a couple of weeks' time, Jen and I will celebrate our 28th wedding anniversary. And, and we're still putting the parts together. Like, 
She's not even close, actually, to be honest. No, I'm just... <laughs> you know what? This is an umbrella of grace, right? She's trying. She honestly is. She's trying. We need to acknowledge our differences. We have differences, and, and it's just no use ignoring those differences, but we need to acknowledge them, and we need to work on those differences. The second thing that I need, think we need to do also is we need to understand the sources of our differences because our differences come from a lot of different sources. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, we see that, that marriage in the first place is God's idea. God is the one who dreamt up this whole thing about marriage. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it tells us that, that God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then it says, and male and female, he created them. See, it's God's design that we're different. And we shouldn't always be looking for sameness. What we should be doing is learning to acknowledge the differences and the difficult differences, but we need to celebrate some of our differences. But understanding the source of some of those differences is vitally important for us if we're going to move on. And a lot of why we are different just comes back to the fact that we are male and we are female. Women, have you noticed that men are different than you? Okay, let's try the guys. Guys, have you noticed that women are different than us? Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, the guys notice more. We pick up on stuff like this a lot quicker <laughs> than you women do. I found this really interesting thing. That a large group of women reported that computers should be referred to in the masculine gender because of the following reasons. In order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. <laughs> Second, they have a lot of data, but they're still clueless. <laughs> Keep the applause down, please. Okay. <laughs> Number three, they are supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. And then number four, as soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you'd waited just a little bit longer, you could have gotten a better model. <laughs> now, I know you guys feel betrayed by me, but I've got more, okay? <laughs> a group of guys then said, no, no, no. Computers should be referred to in the feminine gender for the following reasons. No one but their maker understands their internal logic. The native language that they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to anybody else. Number three, even your smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory for later <laughs> retrieval. Oh, yeah. And then finally, as soon as you make a commitment to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessories for it. You know what, and the reason that that stuff is funny to us is because we know we're different, right? We understand we're different. But what are some of the sources of our differences that are rooted in our maleness and in our femaleness? The way that God created us. And I want to really underscore that this morning. God made us male, God f made us female, and we are to celebrate that and rejoice in that. But let's understand where that gives us some tension points in our relationships. The first one that I want to talk about is some of our emotional differences. In general, just in general, I'm going to say a lot of general things here, and so you might be saying, oh, that's not exactly me. I don't want to pigeonhole anybody, but I want to say, in general, these things I think are true. In general, women tend to be more personal than men. They concentrate more on relationships. 
They are concerned about people and feelings. And, and men, generally, we just tend to concentrate more on tasks, and we're sort of more conquer-oriented. And that just, that's just the way that we are made as people, as men and women. Think about it. When you go on vacation, Jen and I are going to make a trip in a couple of weeks' time. We're, we're going down to Virginia Beach. You know, she, she wants to know, like, who's going to be there when we get down there? Who are we going to meet with? How, you know, where are we going to go for dinner and all that kind of stuff? I just want to know how far I can get in 16 hours <laughs> and where the cheapest gas is. And that just, that just shows that, that our emotional differences. I'm task-oriented. She's relationally oriented. And she says to me, and she'll say it to me on this trip, like, you can count on it. David, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Yeah, right. Okay. So, anyways. Not only do we have emotional differences, but, but obviously there are physical differences between men and women as well. And there are so many obvious physical differences between men and women. But did you know that women have greater stamina than men? And that's why they typically outlive men by about 9 to 11 years. <clears throat> women have larger liver, kidneys, stomach, and appendix, uh, but they have smaller lungs than men. On the average, men possess about 50% more brute strength than women. A woman's heartbeat, on average, uh, beats about eight beats faster per minute, but her blood pressure is about 10 points lower. Just, just physical differences that, that are between us and, as men and women. And we need to understand some of these things and, 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 how we, and how we structure our lives and how we date and how we romance one another, even in our married relationships, to know that there are physical differences there are tons of biological differences. Another source of our differences is sexual differences. A woman's sexual drive tends to be related to her menstrual cycle, while a man's is fairly constant all the time. <laughs> typically. I remember I said this was typical, okay? I, I, do we talk about this stuff at C4? It's okay, right, to talk about sex? Because the Bible's full of it. <clears throat> typically, a man needs little or no preparation for intimacy, while women need hours of uh, mental and emotional preparation. We have this saying, Jen and I, in our marriage relationship, because we have one son who's married, been married about a year and a half, another one who's getting married in July, and the other two eligible bachelors are here with us. Uh, and uh, so we have this saying in our house that sex begins in the kitchen. And that just is to illustrate the differences between men and women. That, that you know, for, for a woman to be ready for intimacy, it just can't be when you turn the lights out. Like, there's a process that starts here. I remember I shared this one time with, with some of our guys' friends when they were about 16, which probably wasn't great timing on my part. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and so the next time they come into our kitchen, they were like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I said it begins in the kitchen, okay? It's a process is what I'm trying to emphasize here. But often, you know, sexual differences will occur and will surface in the marriage relationship soon after the honeymoon period because both the man and the woman, especially in a new relationship, and added this new dimension into the relationship of sexuality, they don't understand each other's, uh, each other's needs and how each other are wired when it comes to our sexual differences. And it's something that's very, very important. And so on an emotional, on a physical, on a sexual level, we are different. Now, I don't even have the time to talk about intuitive differences, communication styles, family background, cultural differences. But when, when you take all of these things and you add them all into the mix of who I am and who you are, can you imagine then what happens when these two people come together? 
Now, if the story ended there, <laughs> then why would anybody ever get married, right? But the story doesn't end there. I want to talk now about overcoming our differences because I believe that some of the differences that cause us some real difficulty can be overcome with God's help. And I want to talk about how we work on that. And again, what I'm talking about right now is, ju is just an outline. It's just an overview as we lead into this series. You can certainly talk to uh, like Pastor Wayne or to Mary Lynn and to any of the other folks who are really qualified to talk about these subjects in depth. And I would encourage you to do that. But I'm trying to give you an overview right now so that you, you find some hope if you think that some of your differences are irreconcilable. So overcoming our differences. Let me just go through some principles that I see in the scripture and that as I have met over the years with, with these bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young people who are about to go into their wedding day as we talk, these are the types of things that I talk about with them. And they're great reminders for me every time I talk about them, even though I've been married for 28 years almost. The first one is this, make a commitment to working things out. So simple, right? But so important. Make a commitment to working things out. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, again, under God's blueprint and under God's design for marriage, it says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We need to make a commitment to this oneness, to the fact that, that you, you leave your, your, your family background, that you leave that, that nuclear family and you create a brand new family constellation. And we need to make a, a huge commitment to that. There's this union that takes place between a man and a woman that is sacred and special and significant in God's eyes when people get married. Again, I've stood before all these couples, and I always marvel at it when I stand there because it takes me back to the day that I stood before God and before our family and friends and made a commitment and said words like this, for better or for worse. For better, oh yeah, that's really easy. Oh yeah, things are gonna get better than they are right now, you're joking. That'll be easy to take. But I said for better and for worse. For richer and for poorer. Oh, richer, that's easy to take. Oh, that's great. I mean, we were so dirt poor when we got married, it had to get richer, we thought. But what about for poorer? In sickness and in health. We were healthy. We were blessed. No problems at all. But, but what do you do when, when sickness comes along? Then we said, after another bunch of things, we said until death shall separate us. You see, we need in our relationships, and particularly in our marriage relationships, we need to be willing to make that kind of a commitment to one another. And not just a commitment 28 years ago, but a commitment that I am reminded of on a regular basis. There have been lots of times in our married life that Jen and I have gone back to our wedding vows, and we've talked about the commitments that we made to each other. And we haven't wavered in those commitments. Those commitments are still something that we are vibrantly committed to working out. So make a commitment to work things out. The second principle that I see in Scripture is show mutual love and respect for one another. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit's not a very cool word these days, eh? It's, it's just politically, it's not a good word to use. 
And I think that comes primarily from misunderstanding in the word. In Paul's day, when he used this word, he would have understood it in two sort of broad ways. One would be in a military context, and the other one just a non-military context. In the military context, it means this, to arrange the troop or the divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. But in the non-military usage of the word, it's this, a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a heavy burden. And it's that non-military term that we need to more acquaint ourselves with in our marriage relationships. When the scripture says, submit to one another, submit to each other, Dave, submit to Jen, carry the heavy burden, take on the responsibility, cooperate with a good attitude. That's what the scripture is calling me to. That's what the scripture is calling her to. And there needs to be that mutual commitment of, to an attitude of cooperation, assuming responsibility, and together sharing the joy and the pain of working this relationship out over our entire lives as we submit to Christ. See, that's, that's what I think we forget so often. And so often the people who have trouble submitting to one another really have trouble submitting to Jesus. But if we can learn to submit to Jesus then we can learn to submit to one another. If we can get things worked out vertically, then horizontally we have a basis in which to work some stuff out. The third principle that I see in the scripture is that we need to commit to understanding our differences. And I've talked a little bit about this, but I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter two and verse four. He says, each of you should look not only, and underline not only, not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, it's so easy for us to look to our own interests, but, and he's, he's not saying that we shouldn't be interested in, in what's important to us, but not only our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And surely in a marriage relationship, we should be really concerned about our spouse and their interests. I, I remember talking one time with just a really wise uh, pastor and Christian leader Guy had been the president of OBCOTS, now Tyndale, uh, for years and years, the chancellor, and uh, had a chance to talk to him with a couple of other pastors one time about the, the causes of, of marital breakup. And this guy has been doing marriage enrichment for 40 years. He's been meeting with couples and talking with groups of couples for 40 years about marriage. And he's, we said to him, you know, what's the number one marriage killer? What's the number one thing that kills marriage? And expecting to hear, okay, right, finances, communication, you know, sex, you know, and go down through the list. And he said, look, all of those are just symptomatic of the number one marriage killer. The number one marriage killer is unfulfilled or unrealized expectations. See, we go into marriage with all of these expectations. And if we don't communicate these expectations, if we don't talk about these expectations, and if we don't allow our spouse to work on realizing and fulfilling those expectations, then it becomes a real problem in our marriage relationships. We need to commit to understanding our differences and working on those differences. Number four, practice forgiveness. I think this is huge in a marriage relationship. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, the Apostle Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
Just as God forgave me, so I am to forgive my wife. Just as God forgave her, so she is to forgive me. Remember that forgiveness is an act of the will. It is a choice that we make. Forgiveness is never based on emotions. It is never based on warm, fuzzy feelings that we feel in here. But forgiveness is a choice that we make. Because I have been forgiven so much by God, I am going to choose to forgive other people. It's an act of the will. It's a choice. And we need to practice it. We need to make that choice regularly in our marriage relationships. Number five, we need to seek out advice. Can I say to you, in case you hold this opinion, and I hope that you don't, but counseling is not a dirty word. It's not. I I love the fact that in coming to C4, that one of the things that we have is the City of Hope Counseling Center. That's That's an enormous plus for us as a community of faith and for an area. And we have someone on staff here too, who is a counselor. There have been times in my life, there have been times in our family life where Jen and I have turned to counselors. Why? Because the scripture says, well, I, I, the verse is up here, listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you'll be wise. This is the wisest person who ever lived said this. In a general statements, that's what the book of Proverbs is, general statements about life. In general, this is what life is like. Listen to advice, and in the end, you will be wise. And if you find some of your differences are becoming more irreconcilable to you, seek out the advice of trained, professional people who have your best interest at heart. And seek them out and ask for help and ask for advice. And then the final thing that I want to say about this irreconcilable difference is so vitally important is commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ Jesus is the greatest difference overcomer that there is. I want to read for you just in closing and then in preparation for our communion time together. I want to read to you this passage of scripture found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Thinking about differences and about the differences that exist maybe between us and God and between us and other people and what these words of scripture have to say to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16, down to the end of the chapter says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was... Re- that Sorry, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. And he he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we commit our lives to Jesus, when we acknowledge what Christ has done for us on the cross, and when we invite him into our lives, and when we 
when we receive that reconciliation that he so freely and so fully and so richly gives us, it forms the basis on which we can overcome our differences with other people. It's hard to overcome differences in your own strength, but with, with Christ's strength working in and through us, we have a chance, an opportunity to overcome our differences with other people. We're going to share in communion now together, and the communion is going to be passed to you, first the, the wafers and, and, and then the grape juice. The wafers represent and remind us of the broken body of Jesus that was broken for me and for you on the cross. And the grape juice reminds us that, that Christ had to die, had to shed his blood, he had to give up his very lifeblood and die in my place and die in your place in order to afford to us this reconciliation that the scripture talks about. It is the only method of reconciliation back to God, the death and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And that's what we celebrate together. That's what we remember together when we take this communion together. And so I'm going to pray and give thanks for these elements, for these reminders, for these symbols. And this is for everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you are on that journey of faith and haven't yet come to the point in your life where you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus then we would just simply ask you to let those elements just go right on by. There's no shame in that. There's no problem with that. You're just acknowledging that you're not there yet. But if you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus, I would invite you to come and to take those elements as they go by you to, to take them and to celebrate and to remember. But as we remember, this is a great time not just to remember our vertical relationship but to remember our horizontal relationships as well. In the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul talks about this, he says, therefore people should examine themselves before partaking of the bread and of the cup because if we haven't examined ourselves and if things are not right between us and God and between us and other people, some people have actually gotten sick and some have actually fallen asleep, died, because they eat and they drink in an unworthy manner. It's an open, wide open invitation, but it's a solemn, solemn time. And so I would urge you to think about your vertical relationship, your relationship with God, and think about your relationship with other people. And perhaps even this morning would be a great time for you to just spend some quiet time in prayer, or maybe to go and tap someone on the shoulder and just say, you know, we just need to work out some irreconcilable differences here. And God will give us the strength to do that, and he will be honored in and through that. Let me pray, and then the ushers are going to come forward. Father God, thank you so much uh, for the time around your scripture, and I, I love that your scripture is so practical for our everyday lives. Help us, God, to put these things into practice. Give us courage where we need courage. Increase our faith, because often we are so weak. And God, as we think about what Jesus did on our behalf, the one who had no sin, who was under no obligation to do what he did, but yet he did it to demonstrate to us what reconciliation is all about, we give you thanks for that. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. 
Thank you, God, that we can be your ambassadors of reconciliation as we go forward. And as we take these things, God, we, we give you thanks and we give you praise in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.